You're listening to an Influicity podcast. You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Hi, welcome to the show hosted by me, Manjeet Minhas. Every episode, we sit down with a different expert. This week, we are talking with Zabine Herji. She has not only amazing experience and background um, working in HR, but is definitely timely talking about the changing nature of work. We're going to talk about not only working from home and how organizations and individuals are navigating that, but also diversity and inclusion. Both very hot topics today, and I think relevant not only now, but always. Um, Zabine, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Zabine. You have had quite a remarkable and still have a remarkable career. And I think um, your experience, your background, a lot of your knowledge and what we're working through um, in a lot of our organizations today. So welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Let's get right into it. Let's learn about Zabine Hirji, first of all. Tell me a little bit about your background, your education, and, and how you got into human resources. Yeah, great. Well, thank you, Manjeet. So let me let me try to do the, uh, I don't know about Cole's note, but the short version. So I actually came to Canada as a teenager from Tanzania. I'm of Indian heritage. And uh, my family moved to uh, Vancouver. Uh, my mom actually brought my brother and I, my father had uh, passed away, unfortunately, shortly before we came. So, you know, in some ways I, uh, I had some of the, the, Typical immigrant experiences. I went to uh, high school in uh, in Vancouver, and uh, actually started working at uh, the Royal Bank. That was my first full time job um, at the age of seventeen, and where as a teller, I went to university part time. I uh, I went to Simon Fraser um, University, did many different roles uh, in uh, in banking on the retail side, operations. Uh, then moved to Toronto and uh, worked in technology uh, in the credit card business and finished my MBA actually in Toronto and then moved into human resources 20 years into my uh, my career at RBC and you know, to be honest when I came, when I moved into um, into HR like many of my other roles, I thought I would do it for a few years and then I'd move on to something uh, something else. But uh, I discovered fairly quickly that uh, that was uh, my sweet spot. And that's uh, probably a really important uh, life lesson to find that intersect where you really feel that you know you have opportunity and you can make a difference. For me, that's what it was about. I grew up in the organization and so the opportunity to really, in some way, touch the lives of 80,000 people was very meaningful and to create opportunities for everyone to be able to reach their potential. In the last 10 years uh, at RBC, I was the chief human resources officer um, with global responsibility for uh, HR, as well as communications, brand and corporate citizenship, uh, which was a fantastic role. 40 countries, 80,000 people, and uh, an organization that truly believes that people are what makes the difference. That's the competitive edge. 
Well, that's quite definitely the career, not only what you've done in the past, but also present. And it seems like it's definitely not only a passion for you, but it's been quite a journey because, um, you know, the last 20 years, I can't imagine what change you have seen, um, but also how quick the pace of change is happening when it comes to work, when it comes to human resources in all types of organizations, whether it's a big organization like RBC and there's 80,000 employees. employees or small businesses when there's eight, depending on, you know, what they're selling and where they're selling and, and what the state of their, their business is. So thanks for that quick, um, you know, summary. Um, I really do appreciate it because you, you are definitely a wealth of knowledge and, and, and seen it from all different angles, which I think is really important. And because there's a lot of people, let's face it, who in this day and age, when we're talking about work and HR and all of those things that come together, um, who are speaking from research, who are speaking from theories, which really annoy me and don't have um, a lot of real life and real world, um, not only living, but examples. And they haven't actually been in the trenches. And so I think that you can only give advice when you yourself have actually seen it, touched it, felt it, seen how others respond to it and how it actually works in execution. I think many people around a board table um, in general, and I sit on boards myself, can only um, talk and imagine, but until they've actually been there and seen how it works in real life situations, and especially the last, you know, um, numerous months in, a pan- in the pandemic, uh, know how it's actually going to turn out. So I really do thank you again for coming to talk to us about um, what you've seen and what you've heard, um, but also talk to us about breaking some of the myths. Um, because I think there's a lot out there. We've all talked to each other, read and heard a lot. So let's get right into it. What do you think the future looks like for employers or maybe not the future, like now looks like for employers and employees in terms of working in an office? So that's probably, you know, working in an office, working from home. That's, uh, I think, probably the most, not just talked about, but worked on issue for, uh, for organizations. And to some extent, I think it's too soon to call exactly what it's going to look like. But what's clear is it is that it's going to be some type of a hybrid model for people who are able to work from home, uh, which is about 40% of people, where they'll spend some time working from home and some time working from the office. Initially, as we went into pandemic, I think there was a lot of conversation and a view that this was something that could be done forever. People could work from home. And I think most people liked it to begin with. I think most people liked having the comfort, not the commute, you know, being more comfy. In, in, but in some cases, it quickly wore off with understanding the distractions at home, I think, for some, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it certainly, it's, uh, I, I would say that for me, the overriding principles, because that's, that's really uh, how I the organizations thinking about it is flexibility and choice. Organizations will have to be flexible in in a way that they've never been before. Just think about managing people who don't have a standard work day, who don't have a standard workplace. It's a whole new dimension. But that flexibility and, and for me, really having choice. I think employees uh, need to have choice, keeping in mind that you still, you have to, the, it has to work for the employee, 
for the customer and for the organization. It's clearly, it's not a one size fits all. But what I see as being really important is for, for, to really have a clear and fair process where employees have the opportunity as, as do employers to say, this is what would be ideal for me. Now let's see how we can work that. Because the, the reality is that when you're working with customers and, and here I'm not speaking about uh, people, for example, in, in your business where face to face that has to continue, but where work can be done from home, you still have customers who'll say, I would rather have people come into the workplace and, and, um, and meet with me face to face, for example. So it, it does need to be uh, thoughtful, but with the mindset that if we can make working from home work for an, for an individual, let's go there. And, and, and so what do you see are the social effects coming from um, employees working from home rather than in an office and vice versa? Human beings, we're social beings. We get um, uh, our entire history. The human history is, is, uh, is being social. And you know, what's really interesting is uh, even some of the myths that are being debunked from here. I, uh, um, I was uh, speaking with a woman who is a self-declared introvert. And she said, I am so surprised at how much I miss being in the office. Hmm. And uh, this is someone who lives on her own with, with her, with her uh, very nice cat. But uh, she, um, she's, she realizes that even though she may like to do, you know, an introvert is somebody who likes to do their work on their own or, uh, and get energy from that, she also needs to have people around her. And it's affecting her mental health. It's... Uh, uh, the the isolation the the social the social distancing um, is um, is is have taking a toll on her and I you know I tell that story as an example of what we're seeing amplified in the data uh, people are the are reporting much higher uh, incidents of mental health issues mental health concerns it was already a big issue before the pandemic we we have seen the rise of mental health issues and um, this like with many things covid has been an accelerator for many good things like working from home um, and and debunked that myth but at the same time it's really accelerated the the mental health issues and so we need to pay a lot of attention to iso- isolation and the impact. Um, and, and this again goes back to this notion of a hybrid model where people need to have the choice to be working, to be able to go into the office to get the social contact in the office and what comes after. When people get together, they, they, they go out you know, for something to eat or for a drink after work. And um, what's very interesting here I was just uh, listening to a podcast that The Economist did, and um, this was data that was cu- that came out of the UK, where young people are actually the ones who are most wanting to go back into the office. Sometimes people think, "Oh, they're so tech savvy, and you know, they they want to do their own thing in their own place," um, and they're saying, "No, we need to get back to the office. We need that." You know, I, I miss that social connection, but I still want to have a few days where I can work from home. 
I think that's really interesting. For employees that are working from home, what do you think is something really important that we should all consider and keep front of mind? I love the fact that you say that we, you know, shouldn't work more um, because that doesn't mean, you know, that we're being more productive or that we're, um, you know, getting ahead. Um, but what else should we consider? Yeah. So that disciplined separation, I think, is really important. And it's not a one size fits all. You know, for it, 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 there are people, there are studies that have been done that show for some people, work life integration actually works better. Um, so you need to know what, uh, what's the right thing for you. Scheduling in time for things that are important. One of the things, you know, I love is the fact that I can do my Pilates session during the day a couple times a week. In fact, I just did one this morning where, um, it rejuvenates me. It, uh, I don't have to, you know, do it at 6 a.m. I can do it at 10 a.m. And, um, it's in my schedule for twice a week that that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, and, that's again, I think that's important for, for people, um, at, at home to keep in mind. And then maybe the last thing I'll say there is while the, one of the positives is people feel they have more time with family, more time with kids, more time with partners. On the flip side is this notion of extreme togetherness. That's not actually sort of part of how it was supposed to be. We need to have, we have. Now, many of us have lives of our outside of the, the 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 family structure, so you need to communicate to communicate with your partner around the impacts of this extreme togetherness. What's working? What's not? Before things get, uh, you know, before things get to be bigger issues. And same with your kids. How do you have that um, conversation and and set the boundaries so that uh, everyone is. Um, is managing through and, and they're going to be, it's back to this one size doesn't fit all where we all have, you know, our own, um, ways of, of working and living and how can we, uh, how can we help each other to, to make the most of it? Yeah. Good point. You know, as much as I love my two little girls and my husband, I've never seen them this much as I have in the last seven months because I was never home like physically this much, right? Between right. travel and events, travel. And a bunch of other stuff that definitely a part of me really misses because it's like you say, that social interaction, those new experiences. But I think that it has been nice in order to be home a little bit more, but there's a certain point to where it's like, okay, maybe I need to, you know, go outside to the shit kind of thing for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> or they need to, because there is this too much togetherness too, right? Where you can, I agree with you, no matter how big your house is, you get, you, you need more physical separation to sometimes have experiences um, alone. Um, and I used to do that, to be honest, even while I was traveling, I would always take and have scheduled. I'm a very scheduled person. So I completely agree with that. Always have been. Um, I would take like an hour in the middle of really intense long days and schedule an hour just to walk the streets or like go shopping, even if it was for like nothing. But it was me time as in to like get all that out, kind of re-energize my Myself, um, and and not be all consumed by whatever task is at hand. Um, and I think that that is harder and harder to do. Online shopping is not the same as touching and feeling and walking the street. <laughs> exactly. And that me time, Manjeet, that you talk about is so important, especially for women. We're not very good at doing that at the best of times of, of making me time. We've 
you know, we always have our responsibilities, our families, our work, everything gets, gets ahead of it. And uh, super important right now, I think. At, at, and to your point, schedule a 15-minute walk around the block. And ev- everyone can do that. Take your, take your sandwich with you, get yourself a little folding chair and, and, you know, walk around if you don't have, if you don't have a, you know, a backyard and find a spot to sit and watch the world go by and eat your sandwich. So tell me one thing that you love and that you hate about working from home versus working in the office. It's, it's, it's sort of probably a fairly mundane response in some ways, uh, but for me, the, the big things I have been able to focus on is health and well-being. So I'm eating healthier meals because let's face it, when we go out, we don't know what's going into the food and uh, it's tasty. And whereas at home, I've, it's just been something that I've uh, put the time into and I really wasn't much of a cook before and now I've started to cook. And, uh, so that's, uh, that's quite, that's a good thing. And then with exercise routine, I walk every day, I, I get in my other training and, uh, it's just, it just seems easier. In fact, even when things open up, um, I'm not going to go to the gym as often. I can, I can do online, you know, sessions just as easily and I don't have to travel. It's so much easier to fit in an hour as opposed to, the two hours or the two and a half hours to get to the gym and everything that goes around that. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that's for me been, uh, been a silver lining, I think for, for working from home. And I hope to certainly be able to continue that. Um, what do I hate? Um, I think it does speak a little bit to the, the, the social, the unplanned, the spontaneous, um, conversations with people. Let's grab a coffee and have a chat. And invariably, those agenda-less chats are really important to generating new ideas, to to being creative, because they're curiosity-based conversations. True. Um, when when you bump into someone, as opposed to you know, often with business, it's okay. The, these we need to get through these pieces. Um, or these these issues on the agenda, and we don't let ourselves be um, um, uh, just have these open conversations, and that happens with uh, with those coffee chats. Now, can you do it online? Not really, because you have to plan it. You you know you right. you yes, you can. I guess you could text someone and say, "Hey, what are you doing?" But it's you have to both be in the mood, right? And when you're in a if you're down in, you know, the, in, in the, 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 the cafe in your office building, you know, people are there because they actually have the time and they might be looking for that as well. True. Very true. I, I agree with you. And I think that that is um, definitely something that I miss also. And like you say, any part of that kind of serendipitous interaction, whether it be events or parties or mm-hmm. um, like you say, just at the end of the day or lunch, but it is it is something I think that many of us are missing. And also where a lot of opportunities are found, right? In growth in our career, in our businesses, just kind of understanding uh, what else is going on around you, whether you're involved in it or not. 
but it, 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 it just kind of gives you more awareness as to your surroundings and what others are doing. And I think in the world that we are living in, which I think is important and, and harder to grasp because we're all getting our news from the same sources. <laughs> um, and, and it, it, it's kind of that filtered view. If I could just maybe uh, touch on one really important thing you, uh, you brought up, which is the impact on career and career growth. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons uh, younger people actually want to go back into mm. the office uh, because that's where it's, it's human nature. When you're seen, you, you talk to people informally, you're remembered. And, you know, that's, that's uh, how the, 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 the human mind works. As much as we have good career management processes in organizations that are, you know, really try to build in the fairness and that sort of thing. The reality is that the the face to face contact, the oh, let's you know, let's go for a drink after. Oh, tell me about yourself. You know, all of those things that that happen in these uh, collisions and even planned face to face is a different kind of connection. Um, and and I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about the potentially, and even when we talk about a hybrid model, will there be, will the group in the office be more advantaged? How are we, what are we going to put in place to, to mitigate some of that, uh, that bias that may actually form? And, um, and even from a, from a diversity and inclusion perspective, uh, could this actually uh, set us back? Because uh, people, you know, there is a, Again, a human tendency to uh, to be to connect, and it's easier to connect with people just like us, just like you, for an individual. And so, what is this going to do? And what deliberate steps are managers and leaders and um, HR professionals going to take uh, to ensure that we don't inadvertently go in the wrong direction in terms of more inclusive uh, career development and growth? Do you think that we should go back um, or start talking about as a society that we should have metrics um, to to make sure that we don't go back? Because, you know, there's a lot of reports out very recently about how the pandemic is affected, w- affecting women more negatively because they are, you know, um, the, the homemaker more often. They are taking care of children who are not in school or younger because of daycare and school shuts down, um, just handling all the stresses that are going on at home, finances. Um, and so in in a lot of cases, seeing that they're the ones that are losing the jobs. And so is that something that suddenly we should maybe be going back to, to making goals as far as numbers um, go to make sure that it, we don't go back? Or, or how do we do that? Great, great question. So no question women are, uh, are being more impacted. Uh, I was involved in a situation not that long ago where a young woman with kids three and five had this dream job put in front of her she you know she put herself in the running initially and then COVID hit and uh, she was home with her kids and realized that uh, I can't do this I I don't know what's going to happen with school I my kids are are going to you know my kids need me and stepped out of the race and those numbers are never going to be captured anywhere it's because because you know it's really um, uh, some uh, a promotion that someone didn't take. Um, I am a huge believer in setting goals. I always have been. Uh, anything important 
you're you're a very successful business person. Anything that's important to you, you set goals, you set objectives, you set stretch goals, and then you take action, you take the right actions to help you get there. And uh, I have seen firsthand that organizations with goals make more progress than organizations without. And I've also, you know, I'm, I'm very quick to debunk the, the myth or the first objection that people raise, which is, oh, we're going to put unqualified people in the jobs. Of course not. We have good processes. We are going to take the steps. We're going to work harder to develop women and people from, uh, from other underrepresented groups. And, and we're going to make good decisions. And by the way, we do put men in jobs who don't succeed. And, and that's okay too. If everyone we put in a, in, in a job and, and promoted succeeded, we aren't taking enough talent risk. Again, you're a business person. Not every decision you make turns out the way you had hoped it make. But if it did, then you're not taking enough risk to grow your business. You're, um, you're foregoing, right? You're probably foregoing a lot. And I think of talent in the same way. So no goals, no progress. In our workplace culture, um, especially in North America, do you think that there is something that needs to be addressed, that needs to be changed sooner than later? Uh, so you actually touched on uh, on what I think, and that is uh, we talk about, you know, I talk about the future of work is human. The future of leadership is human. That is what has happened in in the last eight months where we are seeing leaders who are more authentic. They're more comfortable just being who they are. In some ways, they don't have energy to not, you know, to kind of add that added layer of, oh my God, you know, I have to put on my, this role and, and, and be leader. Uh, they're just being, you know, I'm Zabine and, and I'm a leader. They are letting people into their homes. People are getting to see parts of their lives that they might not have otherwise. Um, they're dressed in the same way as, uh, as, as other people. They're vulnerable. Leaders are not afraid to say, I don't have the answer. We've seen this notion of what I call radical um, transparency with, with employees and with customers where leaders are, you know, they're saying to em employees, this is what we know, this is what we don't know. Uh, this is what we're going to do. And um, that, uh, that vulnerability, again, what does it do? It connects people at a human level. And, and I think about uh, even our, our uh, chief medical officers, whether it's Dr. Teresa Tam or whether it's Dr. Bonnie Henry in BC, that's what we've seen there. They, 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 uh, we have confidence in them, but at the same time, they're not afraid to say, that they don't have answers to certain things. So we trust them. We are willing to follow their advice because we feel that they're actually telling the truth. We are seeing leaders, uh, we're seeing empathy. And I think that we have been able to really use that muscle, that empathy muscle, because we're all in it together. We all have the same fears about, you know, um, about the pandemic, about our health, about our parents' health, about whether I'm going to have a job, what's going to happen to the economy. And 
that empathy has, has again, more naturally come through. Leaders are more compassionate, uh, and, and you touched on that. And it's really brought out the humanity in us. And uh, I think many of us uh, um, are fans and inspired by Jacinda Arden in New Zealand. And, and she said, you know, I think she said something around that and, and around this notion of, she said, I refuse to believe that you cannot be both strong and compassionate. And sometimes we see them as, as, as really having to make a choice, but they're two sides of the same coin. And so my, uh, my hope and dream and many people that I speak to is that we, this continues, that this form of compassionate, caring, human, inclusive leadership is here to stay because I believe it's been critical to us getting, being able to manage through the pandemic. Uh, and, and certainly for frontline workers and hospital workers and grocery store workers, that has probably been the fuel that's kept people going, the, the, the compassion and caring from leaders and also just from society where we have valued work that we might not have valued as much before. Oh, completely. Right? So essential workers. I love that term. Yeah, agreed. And so how are we going to continue that? How are we actually going to uh, treat uh, essential workers and value them and create the kinds of workplaces and and, and leadership um, that recognizes that? So the, the, the future of leadership is human. And uh, that's, uh, that's what I'm talking about a lot and, and hearing other people talk about a lot. So as an optimist, I think some of that's going to stick, but uh, we all have a, pl- a part to play in that. And, and um, that is all about our behavior. And being human is actually not that hard. Um, <laughs> If we let ourselves. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, I, I completely agree. I am an optimist true and true and through and through also because um, I truly believe we all have to be not only in this day and age, but always um, in order to see the positive, to take on, you know, the challenges and the stresses of not only um, life, but our careers and and um, and that's how what makes us better, stronger um, individuals. So um, thank you very much. I really do appreciate your insight and your candor. I'm talking about uh, a topic that affects all of us and, and I think will continue to for a long time. And I do believe that we do have to go um, into a lot of our actions and our thought processes consciously. And we can only do that sometimes with learning and hearing from experts such as yourself. Um, so thank you once again. I, I appreciate your time. Today, uh, well, it's been a thrill to to be part of this and to have a chance to kind of meet you um, <laughs> in, in in this, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you on Dragon's Den. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow the Manjeet Minhas podcast, and you will be notified every week when our new episodes come out. Please stay tuned and have a great week.